Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My Seven Wonders. In ancient times, great pyramids, uh, monumental temples and other superstructures were lauded and listed as wonders of the world. And like seas, days of the week and deadly sins, there were always seven of them. More recent magnificent sevens have included other man-made marvels such as Machu Picchu and the Taj Mahal or awe-inspiring natural phenomena such as the Grand Canyon and the Great Barrier Reef. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your personal list? That's the question I ask my guests in this podcast. And the guest I'm asking today is the American comedian Reginald D. Hunter. Well, I say American. Reginald comes from Georgia, the one in America, but has been living and working in Britain for the best part of 20 years, appearing on stage and stand-up comedy tours, clubs and festivals all around the country, as well as being seen in any number of TV and radio programmes and panel shows all over the schedules. Schedules, if you prefer. And uh, Reginald, uh, you under- as I understand, you didn't arrive here as a fully-fledged comedian. You came to do uh, more of an acting course at RADA for the summer. But what, what about uh, Britain turned you into a comedian? Oh, I, 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 I don't know. What, what, uh, the opportunity? <laughs> uh, Americans never thought me funny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd always imagined you'd been doing comedy in America and you'd just strayed over here and uh, fall in love or whatever it is that keeps people uh, in different parts of the world and you just carried on. But it sounds, from the, the story I've now mugged up on, uh, <laughs> this sounds as though you, you, you're gonna do, you were doing acting. You were here to learn how to be, uh, you know, I don't know, play Shakespeare or uh, do light comedies or, or whatever. But you thought, hey, stand-up's more fun. Stand-up comedy, I mean, it's it's more of a meritocracy than anything else. If you're funny, you'll work. And, yeah. you know, in acting, you cannot get um, work because you're not tall enough or your nose ain't big enough or, you know, but all in, in stand-up comedy, all of those things are assets. So, I mean, you know, it's like... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose it's helpful as well uh, for anybody to be a bit different. So you've got your... Your Americanness straight away marks you out, and I suppose Georgia in particular. That you've got that um, a Southern accent. You're not. You're different, even from like those fast-talking New York comedians. Yes, yes, I suppose that's true. But I mean, I don't, I don't really hear an accent when I hear myself speaking. I only, I only, it's always pointed out to me over here. You know. So I mean, uh, yeah. When I first started doing stand-up comedy over here. I had um, people come up to me and tell me it was like it was just lovely to see you, just not another English white guy, you know. It's just, yeah. So I had the benefit of not being that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got all those benefits: you're black as as opposed to white, American as opposed to British, and as when you first started, new as opposed to being somebody who'd been hanging around for ages. So, but what about your acting career? Is that uh, have you? Is your acting career put to one side, or do you appear in? things now and then don't you yeah i do i, I pop up here and there um i i don't 
I don't know if my heart is as committed to acting as it once was. Um, I mean, I wanted to, I, I, mm. I, I came here to study at Rada partly because I was, I was, I was, I wanted to, I was, I was very much enthralled with Patrick Stewart and Peter O'Toole and, you know, and I was, I was, yeah. I was 20, I was 29, 30 years old before I realized I was never going to be those guys for, for a number of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, you've, uh, I've asked you, I've asked you to select uh, seven wonders and you've, uh, as the way these things work, you've you've provided your list, but uh, you haven't been as um, careful about it as you might be because you've got more than seven on your list. So along the way, I'm going to have to try and ed- edit you down as we go along. But let's let's start with your first wonder, which is dogs. Uh, that's all I know about your wonder. Is that a particular dog you have in mind, or all dogs, or the history of dogs, or what? Oh, just my dog. Um, I had a dog. Um, he was the best dog ever. And when he died, just there was no point in any other dog after that. Just, just the best dog ever. Okay, well let's let's fill in the detail. That where, where, how old were you when you you had the dog and 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 when he died? If we, uh... I was ten, um, Mama came in the house and she said, "Go up the street and get get a get a puppy from your cousin's litter." And I went up the street and I picked out him. And yeah, my father wanted to name him Hitman. Um, my sister wanted to name him Bubbles, but I decided on Oscar. All right. Oscar the Doe. Even then you were thinking of an acting career that you you, you wanted to get an Oscar. So that's a good that's a good name for, for a dog, I think. Yeah, you know. Just... And what sort of dog was Oscar? Um I think um he's what we call a mutt and you call a mixed breed. Yeah. 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 He was a, mutt, a mongrel, a yeah, crossbreed, yeah. I used to tell people he was Cocker Spaniel and Beagle. Uh, I was sure about the Cocker Spaniel part, but the Beagle part was a guess. Yeah. <laughs> he was a small dog, a mid-sized dog, um, and rust-colored, pretty dog, mm. and um, a sneaky dog. You know, just yeah. he was always sneaking out. Um, he'd get lost and disappear. And and there was a period he'd sneak out and he'd, hide, he'd, he'd run with the neighborhood dogs. And... And then one night he got attacked by them and my mama was holding him. She said, you ain't no street dog. You a house dog, but you running with them street dogs and them street dogs. They talk nice to you until they get you a few blocks away and then they whip your ass. They hate you because you a house dog. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Was this was this the sort of advice she gave you as well? Oh, uh, she She's giving me advice that's probably not too dissimilar. Yeah. But you come from a big family, don't you? Did you have, was it eight brothers and sisters or something like that? I'm the last of nine, yes. So uh, this is in Georgia you're talking about. So is this is this a rural area or a, a, a town? What 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 was it, your it's a what city. was the setup it, it, like? It, Georgia just barely uh, technically qualifies as a city. Um, in fact, it, its moniker mm. is the good life city, for which reason I do not know. But yeah. it calls itself the good life city. And yeah, um, when I left, the population was about sixty thousand at the time. Yeah, so it's, I missed the name of that. Is it is it Albany, the city you're talking about? Yes, I, I missed the name of the city you're in. Albany. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Right. So anyway, we're we're, stra- we're straying from the dog a bit. So this, so Oscar the dog you had when you were ten, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And did he live a long time? Did he have a full life? Uh, I was sixteen when he died. All right. Okay. Well, that's it's okay. Um, and does that mean you? I'm getting a hint there. You perhaps didn't want to have another dog after that, but have you have you gone away from that? Have you had late? Do you have a dog now, for example? No, I don't. 
But my father, who died last year, he, he was 102 when he died. And I'm convinced that a large part of the right. reason he lived that long is because he always kept a dog. Uh, they say pets can you yes. know, take a lot of stress away and stuff like that. And just... So you're not tempted to get one yourself now to to take the strains of, uh, I don't know how stressful your life is, but um, as a, a comedian, there must be plenty of stresses. Well, I'm sure, you know, stresses are plenty in this, in this lifetime, but um, I leave still too much of an itinerant life to have a dog waiting for me. All right, so so it's that dog, the dog called Oscar, and he's he's your first wonder of the world. Yep. Uh, would, whether he, just before we leave him, is, did he have any particular qualities, uh, uh, tricks that he did, uh, sh- signs of uh, loyalty or, or anything like that that uh, bring a tear to your eye now? Well, I've, he did something once, and I fear that it might be a bit too graphic for this time of the day and your listeners, but it sure changed my perceptions about how animals see their parents. I see. <laughs> um, <laughs> did, did he meet his his mother or father dog? Is that is that what we're talking about? Or? He met his mama. He met his <laughs> mama. And it's yeah. and, and he didn't react to her the way you or I, or I might react to our mothers. Yes. Um, I, um, I, in fact... In fact, in fact, in fact, the way he reacted to his mother, I could imagine her saying, you just like your daddy. So, um... (laughs) Studies have found that having a pet may be good for your heart. For example, owning a dog is associated with lower cholesterol and triglyceride levels, and we know that that can reduce the risk of having a heart attack. And, of course, what's more is having a pet around can help boost your mood, make you feel less lonely, and help you with that stress. We're now going on to your next wonder, but I'm going to try and impose a bit of discipline on this because I've noticed on your list of wonders, you've got three foodstuffs, uh, which is pizza, Indian food, and fish tacos. Which, Which of those... Uh, uh, do you want on your list of wonders? Because I, I want to get you down to seven. So is it possible for you we could eliminate two of the foodstuffs okay. and uh, stick to only one? OK, we can do fish tacos. OK, so fair enough. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be my top of those three. But ne- never mind. why? Why is this? Where do you where do you first bump into into fish tacos? Is this something you, you had at home you had in in England or in another bit of America? Los Angeles. I was in Los Angeles about seven or eight years ago, and and let me tell you, let me tell you, I don't particularly like fish, and I don't particularly like tacos, but I had fish tacos, and it was blooming amazing. <laughs> have you ever had fish tacos? I I think I must have done, but because uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't go for tacos much until the last few years, and then they just arrived, don't they? Loads of them, and you start, oh, let's try that one, try that one. Um, I don't remember, and I like fish, so I probably enjoyed a fish taco. But is there, is it the particular recipe for it uh, that you you're thinking about? Well, I I just know when I had it in this one place in America, this 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 uh, fish taco restaurant, and mm-hmm. they did. I mean, they do a lot of fu- fusion food, like um, uh, Korean tacos and and yeah. Korean fried chicken, and it's just there's um there's a lot of people in LA who consider themselves foodies and. And if you've had fish tacos, I mean, if you've had them in England, then I might suspect that maybe you might have had a less flavorful fish taco if mm. you had it here in England. 
But I mean, that's that's yeah. just me presupposing. Yeah, you're. I think <laughs> I get what you're suggesting there. Uh, but uh, the 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 mere fact that I've had to restrict you or try to restrict you f- from your three food wonders uh, does does that imply you you like food? It's a it's it's a pleasure to you the various types of food. Um. I I wasn't aware that I put three there. Um, I, I I listed as many things off the top of my head that that would come to me, um, yeah. And those those occurred to me. Um, I mean, um, do you like Marmite, sir? I don't particularly. No, no. Um, oh, okay. That, well, then I mean, yeah. <laughs> compared to compared to compared to somebody who likes Marmite, yes, I like food. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I, I was uh, the other thing that struck me about your list um, relates to the the touring comedian because uh, pizza, Indian food, and tacos is the sort of thing you might be grabbing before a show or after a show or even during a show if you're doing a you know an evening tour. Well, actually, um, just real quickly, um, pizza was something that I loved at, during my teen years. I had a girlfriend, and like. Um, between ages 19 and 25, every weekend we get a pizza. And I thought I eat pizza every day of my life. And now I don't. Yeah. And so it, it was, it's, it's, and Indian food, I never tried until I came here. And, yes. and so that sort of, so I think for me, those three food things represent a sort of um, maturation in my taste or my willingness to go beyond where I thought was, you know. So I'm going to do a kind of made-up dish that I've been fantasizing about, beautiful salmon tacos. It starts with the salmon. Give it a nice little season up with salt and pepper. So this is a Cajun rub. I'm going to sprinkle this on the salmon and be very, very generous. So let that just sit and kind of take in that flavor. Let me just wash my hands. Let's, let's move on to your next uh, choice. Um, I just have the word pussy written down. So uh, this is a bold choice of yours, uh, depending on how you're going to uh, interpret the word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to... Um, I jokingly put that on the list for my assistant, and I guess um, he's showing me um, he has a sense of humour <laughs> by sending that on to you. So that's, that shouldn't be there. Is that, is that your... Um... That, that, that really shouldn't be there. But, you <laughs> I won't, know, I won't. Mr. Wiseass... <laughs> Mr. Wiseass left that on the list. Because <laughs> I, I, I wonder you. Um, I, was, I was trying to describe you to uh, somebody who hadn't uh, heard of you, and uh, and say, well, you've seen him on, um, you know, panel games. You're a reliable person who's on a panel show to to be amusing and charming and uh, move the things along. Uh, but in your stand-up shows, sometimes in the title of your shows, you're a bit, you're sometimes a bit more controversial, a bit more sort of edgier than that. Is there, is, would you say there's two sides of you in your performing career? Um, my family and my friends um, and people who meet me don't tend to find me controversial. It's only It only tends to be a certain ilk of middle-class white person that finds me controversial. Um, yeah. And, and not all of them. So um, yeah. I think... I think I think being controversial is nothing more than saying stuff that some people don't already agree with. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but do, are you uh, <laughs> conscious of of being um, more um, I don't know hemmed in by convention uh, doing a TV program? You can be more relaxed, uh, you know, freer, more yourself in uh, in doing a, a theatre show. Well, I try I try to be cognizant of. Um, 
when it's my table or when I'm sitting at somebody else's table. Like today, I'm sitting at your table. So, I mean, I don't, you know, I won't let my hat on all the way. But, you know, when it's my table, I, I stretch my legs. <laughs> okay. And I suppose that's uh, you know, just extending that argument because if an audience is there to 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 watch you, they know what roughly, or to hear you, they've roughly got an idea of what they're going to get. But if you're a, a guest person or you've been asked to make a speech at an event or something like that, they sometimes people are... Uh, taken aback. Well, they might be. You, I, I try to be cognizant of when um, I'm on, I'm doing a solo thing as opposed to when I'm more or less part of an ensemble. And you know, it's like when you're part of an ensemble, it's, it helps to know, it helps to be as good at passing as it is scoring. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, very good. Um, all right, so we're not going to uh, go into the. <laughs> Yes, that's very good. <laughs> well, that's it's up to you. Uh, You're quite you, amusing, you, young Reginald. You, you, you make the choices. So, no, um, I wash my hands of it. It's your choice. I wash my hands of it, sir. <laughs> Indeed. It, that is 100% uh, accurate. That's, it's your choice to make your seven yeah, wonders of yeah, the world. Yeah, so yeah. you include what you want to include. <laughs> and you leave out the ones. Okay. I'm not applying any censorship one way or the other. But the next thing uh, that I have on my list that you've sent in, and I hope it's one you meant to send in rather than anything else, uh, is uh, you've got Star Trek, but you've also got The Fugitive, which are both very successful uh, TV series. Uh, they're... Um, there are other forms of them as well. I assume you're talking about the TV series in each case. Uh, and I might want to force you to take a decision as to which of what those two go into your seven wonders, just so as we get it down to seven. So let, let's start with Star Trek, um, <laughs> which, um, uh, I mean, the world world uh, would, would know about. So did you see it when it first went out? Or you, you were too young when it first went out, surely, no. Star Trek? No. I was seven. I was I was seven when I started watching it, which would have been in the mid seventies. And okay. oh. since I was the last of nine children, I had a lot of unsuper- unsupervised television time in the seventies. Yes. So I watched. I started watching Star Trek, and um, Star Trek gave me my first lessons about answering distress signals, even to your enemies. Um, yes. The first lesson of might is restraint, and. I mean, um, and I grew up in that that decade of television in America. That was the last decade when liberals had control of the television in America. And so mm. a lot of uh, all the children's TV shows had the same message. Caring is cool. And yeah, I'm glad that I was part of that last generation that got a little bit of that. And, and you, you say that doesn't that no longer applies. You, there's, there isn't that message from a lot of TV programs even today. Not really. No. No, there's a, there's a lot of messages, but it's not that. <laughs> okay. All right. But so as far as Star Trek is concerned, uh, was was it the uh, science fiction aspect of it that, that first attracted you, the space travel and so forth, or could it have been set anywhere? It could have been a could have been a, in the Wild West and have the same sort of uh, messages as well. If you, if you... Uh, I, I you know I I can't really answer that. Um, I mean, I was a kid, so of course anything animated or had laser beams would have got my attention. But um, what? But um, I think what stuck to stuck with me was the camaraderie of it all, um, and everyone being from different backgrounds. Because also about that time, I was I was starting to make my first my initial racial observations given my environment, and mm. I noticed how, and even at that age, how people 
had learned how to segregate themselves, whether they were black or white. And so, yeah. um, and so Star Trek sort of spoke to that. And I was just seven, but it's, I mean, um, mm. yeah, I, I, I realized that something about that made it seem cool to be a part of a collective, oh. uh, a, a diverse collective at that. Yeah. And I'm so I'm supposing uh, in the seventies in Georgia, um, things weren't as were as uh, relaxed and as pleasant as it might have been on the Starship Enterprise. Oh well, see, in the seventies we were quite tired because um, we my family had gone through the tumult of the sixties, and so I mean um, there was a. I, I think the seventies was a relatively peaceful decade in America, uh, particularly racially. Um, mm. as, as a country, we were spent with Vietnam, uh, all the assassinations. And so, um, it seemed like we were on our way racially to make some amends and build some inroads. And then the eighties happened and Reagan. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden it started, it started being ramped up again about the Russians and the bomb, and uh, and then yeah. So, I, I in my memory, the seventies were comparatively a, a particularly peaceful de- a decade. Yeah. So they sound uh, putting these things together. You know, they do sound like an idyllic time. You've got your dog coming along in due course. You've got Star Trek on the television, as you said. That the turmoil of the sixties had sort of, in some senses, might have even said to have lanced a boil or you know, moved things along. Uh, it was a peaceful time. Is that is that you looking at the past through uh, rose-tinted spectacles, or um, can you maintain a strong case for this? You know, that's a good question, and I ask myself that every day. Um, I wonder if life was as simple as it seemed, or do I just remember it from a child's vision? Um, yeah. But, but it, it, it does seem like things were simpler, and... I mean, there's something to me timeless about the message of the answering distress signals, even to those of your enemies. And mm-hmm. that, that's, that's how new relationships and old, old rivalries, you know, yeah. change. Well, I'm trying to force you to make a choice between that and The Fugitive, which is a, another highly successful TV series, but perhaps, perhaps with a more, um, I suppose, a more aggressive uh, message. There's, 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 uh, there's death at the, uh, the heart of it. So... Uh, what attracted you to the fugitive? Um, the it, the fugitive affected me particularly personally. I saw the reruns of it uh, during the late eighties, and I quite identified with an outsider, um, the stranger who comes to town. He has problems of his own, helps somebody else, moves on, and yeah. I, I wonder sometimes if I've psychologically unconsciously created something of an existence like that for myself. Um, the itinerantness of stand-up comedy. Come to town, yeah. you got problems of your own, make some people laugh, move on. <laughs> right. But and, you don't want to be wrongly accused or wrongly convicted of your wife's murder, which is the the um, the, the plot line. Of the, the... I've never been wrongly accused of anything that severe, but I also identify it because I know what it's like to feel wrongly accused. And so, mm-hmm. and, and who doesn't, who doesn't know that feeling? And especially as, yeah. as a teenager, like I was, you know, I was feeling wrongly accused all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what was striking about The Fugitive 
is the commentary that it made about the rest of America, the parts between Los Angeles and New York that were dark and uneducated and, and violent. And I think it said something quite truthful to the the flip side of mm. the American apple pie psyche. When you say you were wrongly accused as a teenager, are you talking about being told off by the teacher or your parents? Are you talking of, you know, police and that, you know, sort of law enforcement? Uh, more more the former. <laughs> um, yeah. Just, you know, you know, those teenage years were like, you know, nothing's your fault. <laughs> and it's like, well, I didn't need it. That, but it's not my turn to wash dishes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I dig your show, but if I was going to admit to a capital crime, I don't think it would be here. Well, it doesn't have to be a capital crime. But you might have been falsely accused of taking something and it turned out you didn't. You know, that these things happen in young people's lives uh, from time to time. Well, they're driving a car and it's, it's their car, but they get stopped by the police and accused of uh, running a red light or whatever it is. You know? Oh, oh. Oh, um, I, I never had it quite that severe, but I mean, I had my run-ins with the cops. And yeah. as they say, sometimes the black cops could be the worst, you know, and it's just, yeah. and <laughs> I remember I got a ticket. I got a ticket and I went to traffic court and there's this, it's, it's, it's packed with black people. And mm. there's this queue and you're going one by one to stand before this black judge. And just in front of me is a black woman and she's, She's clearly wearing an after five dress. And I think to myself, poor thing, she doesn't know how to dress for these kind of proceedings. She goes before the judge and the judge is like, you could see the jewel coming off his canines. Just, hey there, how you doing? <laughs> so what you doing going 55 in a 45 mile an hour zone? <laughs> and, and so, and so he, he ends up looking at her and going, case dismissed. So I think he's reasonable. <laughs> and I go and get in front of him. <laughs> and he just, he puts the hammer to me. And and I and he was like, move it along, son. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I guess I don't have no lace on my drawers. And, <laughs> and then somebody grabbed me and said, hey, hey, he's not the one to be um, witty with. So you learned a lesson. <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that that idea that idea of you know coming into town, being the stand-up comedian, moving on, uh, but uh, your life as it happens, you've come into this country. Um, I don't I don't know, and I'm certainly not encouraging you to move on. But do do you enjoy the feeling of being not an outsider exactly, but an, an observer, slight slightly at, uh, at, a, at an angle to the society that you're talking about? You can you can talk about what happens here and say, oh, I find it you know, your, your restaurants are like this or, what you know, whatever it is. Does, does that fit into that psyche? I suppose it's easier to say or more accurate to say that it's more, it feels more familiar being an outsider. Um, I think people who, um, people who have grown up as outsiders, particularly people who have known what it's like to be an outsider in your own home, I, we can spot each other like Gadar. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I, and especially in London, I mean, it's like this is the home of outsiders. I mean, a lot of people here are from mm. somewhere else. And so it sort of feels like, you know, I'm, 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 on extend, I'm a part of an extended family of outsiders here in London. OK, no, for, yeah, I understand that. But, um, 
but nonetheless, and I'm sorry to be so uh, strict about this, you, you've got these two TV series. I want you to decide which one is your wonder, the Star Trek or the Fugitive. And I can see the arguments for having uh, both of them, but... Um, uh, let's go with the Fugitive. Go with the Fugitive. Okay. Yes, sir. Oh, Mr. Okay. Mr. Stickler. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll take the Fugitive. I'll chop okay. away parts of my, my upbringing for you and your entertainment, sir. These are my these are my formative years. Yeah, I was sorry to see the back of Star Trek there. I thought you argued that very well, but uh, there it is. You made that decision. So your your next one is JFK, which takes us away from television and into um, why of all the presidents you could have chosen, have you gone with JFK? You've got you've got uh, Biden, you've got Trump, you've got Reagan, who you've mentioned already, but you've gone for JFK. Why him? Um, I think. I I think um, I think his death was the beginning of America losing its innocence. Uh, I think America, uh, I think America is still traumatized from the sixties. And my mother is the reason why I got interested in JFK. I was sitting with her; I was about ten years old, and she's watch we're watching something, one of his old speeches, and she said, "Black people was in the street crying when he died," and I said, "Really, Mama?" She said, I should know I was one. And it's like, I looked at her because not only did my mama despise crying as a weakness, but she didn't particularly like white people all that much. So mm. she was out, for her to tell me she was out in the street crying about one, one she didn't even know, that immediately yes. made me reach for the encyclopedia and look at what manner of white man is this that can make my mama cry in the street. And so, yes. And years later, when I was 24, I was sitting watching TV with her. I was about 24 years old and he was, they were showing some speech of his and in a voice I've never heard her use before. I heard her say, I just used to love the way he said Cuba. And I looked at him and I, I looked at him and I was like, you fancied him, didn't you? Didn't you? You too. <laughs> no one, no wonder daddy's so lukewarm about him. Daddy knows. <laughs> well, that's how you, that's how you win political power quite often uh, these days. You've got to be attractive uh, in in your looks more than anything. Um, well, yeah, but that's uh, that, that the whole thing's fascinating because it's all happened. His presidency and his death all happened before you were born. Um, mm. So again, you're looking back to to a time before you existed. Um, have you followed? I mean, it's it's obviously it's a, uh, an assassination and a career that's attracted a lot of attention and various theories and documentaries and movies and endless books and encyclopedia you mentioned. Um, have you poured over those details to try and work out, make the sense of it? Why Why did, did that lone gunman shoot him? Was there a conspiracy? Why was that the accused person killed by somebody else? Is that, is that, has that you know, taken a huge amount of interest of yours? Uh, I'm a part of that generation of American males that at, 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 in the right mood, at the right party, with the white kind of sipping whiskey. Yeah, I have my opinions on those things. <laughs> yes. And you mentioned assassinations because, of course, his, his wasn't the uh, the only one. As, you know, Martin Luther King and JFK's brother. So uh, it, it was... I mean, looked at from, um, you know, outside America, we, we are sometimes completely shocked at uh, the turns of events, the turn of events that happen. It doesn't have to be 
presidents being killed or politicians being killed, but the the, the level of violence is is quite a puzzle. Do you do you can can you give any sort of explanation for that? Um. All I can say is when I lived there, it just seemed a condition of life. And it's only since I've been living in the UK for 25 years that I'm not seeing how how much Europeans don't kill their leaders. It's, it's only then that it became to look uh, absurd to me. And so, uh, you know, a, a lot of talk about gun legislation and it's like, it's no legislation is going to fix it because there's already 300 million guns in circulation. And... That gun train, I'm afraid that America, we are, we're going to go to the end of the line with that one, wherever that goes. Yeah, I've heard that argument put before by all sorts of people saying oh, there's, there's so many guns there, but that's a, it's almost a council of despair, isn't it? It's, uh, you, you, you've just got to give up because the guns are there and they're always going to be there. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, um, who's going to go get the guns from the gun-toting uh, lovers of guns? Nice, nice liberals like yourself? <laughs> You're going to go and tell them how unsensible they're being and, 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 and reason with them and, and show them a better way. Is, is, uh, <laughs> no. um, I, I don't I don't know if it's despair. I just think it's just realistic. It's just, you know, just and and I mean, you know, <laughs> over here, I mean, see, in America, we have this. In retail sales, we have this belief the customer might have a gun. And I'm just saying, if you guys legalize guns over here, y'all might see some improvement in customer service, too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You've gone, gone for a joke. Um, so... Well, one of us should have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got, got tired of waiting on you to make one. <laughs> well, I'd, I was ready for some gags, but you know what it is? Somebody's talking about people being, a, presidents being assassinated in their own country. I, I, not sure the gag I was going to contribute was going to help there. Uh, but you've got your three, <laughs> Star Trek, who mentioned The Fugitive, JFK. These are all in their way inspiring to you. But what you're inspired enough, perhaps, by looking at the television and looking things like that, that you wanted to become an actor. You wanted to take up acting. What about politics? Did it ever occur to you that you might have been uh, somebody who could have used your eloquence and your capacity to argue things? Uh, to become a politician. Did that ever tempt you at all? When I was a boy and up into my teenage years, that took that dream, you know, took my fancy. Yes. Um, I I always imagined that if I was president, I would be in my office, in the Oval Office, and um, somebody would come in and they'd say, um, the 3,000 workers have been let go at GM. And I'd take off my glasses and I'd say, well, I'm not pleased about that. In fact, I'm not <laughs> pleased about that at all. And... <laughs> And then I go and do something. Do yeah. In fact, that's how I handle all of all of the crises like that. I'd just be like, "Sir, there have been illegal sales to, to of weapons to Iran," and I'd be like, "What? Well, I'm not pleased about that. In fact, I'm not pleased about that at all." <laughs> and then there'd be some action. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, all right. Well, we've, uh, we're going to have to move on through your seven, and we're going to do a musician now. Um, you've selected a soul, folk, and jazz guitarist and singer-songwriter. Uh, tell me about him. Uh, Terry Callier. Um, I was turned on to him by a, an Englishman. Um, Terry Callier is um, uh, it's Black American, um, and he started in the mid-'60s, uh, sort of a jazz, folksy, blues kind of player. And he gave up around 1980, decided to sell computer chips and raise his daughter. And a couple of dudes, a couple of DJs over here from Great Yarmouth found some of Terry's old albums. And they went to they went to Chicago and found Terry. And Terry's return concert was in 1994 in Great Yarmouth. And he, when he died about five years ago, he died with a huge international, particularly European following, but still couldn't get arrested in America. Well, that's a fascinating story, and uh, it's, it's it's the charm of it is the fact that it's possible for you to drift away from doing something and to be dragged back, albeit from uh, the direction of Great Yarmouth, uh, to be uh, <laughs> to, to be pushed forward again. It it sort of removes the ego aspect of it in a way, doesn't it? It shows the uh, the, the the star, the performer, the writer, the singer uh, has got qualities, but it's not just that he's forcing himself on the world. He's 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 just um, encouraged into it by fans. Well, sometimes, you know, you have to just go ahead and do the thing and then go somewhere and wait for the rest of the world to catch up. Would, is, is, is music important in your life? Do you play music as well? Do you sing? Do you write songs? Is that another direction you might have gone in? Um, hey, baby, which one of those is your favourite? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I could see you as a singer-songwriter. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I've never been told that I've had an outstanding singing voice, so and, um, and I, I, I take that to mean something. Um, yeah. I, I, I've, I've always fancied that if I put my mind and my heart to songwriting, it don't look all that hard. <laughs> but as far as Terry is concerned, you say you were, you were turned on by an, an Englishman who drew your attention yeah. to him. So there are a lot of singers in the world. Why Why him, other than this charming story uh, of being away you know from what? You know what? It, it's just the currents, the currents of the, that just led me to this. Um, there's something about Terry's music that says to me that it's all right to be a black American man and not be the typical version. Um, there's, the, you, if you listen to his music, you can understand why it didn't quite catch on in America. And I've always kind of worried that my comedy might go the same way that Terry's music went. 
and and he's just great and you should know about him and you should be happy i'm telling you about okay. him so because he's, he's great well, i am i uh, thank you very much thank you for thank you for doing but it but it's it does suggest another question for you is that as if we've already gone over the fact that you you came here you discovered stand-up comedy you've got a successful career as a stand-up comedian in the uk and but you go around the world as well does that include going back to america would you go and do so, something at the I don't know the comedy store in LA or a club in New York or or or, or do you do that? I have done that. Um, I'm mm. looking forward to the next time I do it. Um, the first time I did it, it um, it was perhaps a little overwhelming. Uh, I had to go and see what it was. Um, so it's it's a peculiar thing to be judged by one's own countrymen, and and especially. I was always back then. I was too self-conscious about the fact that I wasn't I wasn't ghetto familiar for black people or white people, and that would be problematic. But when you're here in in the UK, you can, uh, as a, we were discussing before, you can look at uh, British society or British things from a a sort of outsider's point of view. But of course, you can do the same now. Going back to America, and say, well, as you know, I've had. 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, whatever it amounts to at the given time, and say, well, now looking at Georgia or looking at New York or looking at anywhere else in America, I um, I can make this comment or I can make this observation. That's a thousand percent cor- uh, correct, sir. And um, and yes, my, my outsider status is probably at an all-time high in America. But on top of that, ever since COVID and the lockdowns, yeah, I just, <laughs> I feel yeah. a bit more ballsy now than I used to, I imagine. <laughs> Uh, think about our next artist. He's a man who had a great following here in Britain and then went back to America where he lived and didn't come back for a long time and people missed him. So he came back and did some small shows and became so popular he's now doing much larger shows in London. We're very pleased to welcome back Mr Terry Callier. We're getting what I think is our, your sixth, but it could be your 25th uh, wonder. It's hard to tell. Um, <laughs> but I've got it done. Z- Xanax. You've got Xanax down. Now, is this another joke yeah. that, uh, being played on you or, or by your um, your assistant or, or what? No, no. I mean, I didn't expect him to include that in the list. But, I mean, Xanax is a wonderful sleep aid. Um, um, I don't recommend getting addicted to it or any or that or anything like that but i found it to be a, like i have a friend she's my age she's 53 but she looks like she's about 33 and she insists that um yeah. she maintains her looks by picking one day a week where she sleeps at least 14 hours and yeah 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 i respect that i don't have any but i, res- I respect well it's a uh... It's it's a I think that's a brand name, but it's a drug that's used and abused. Um, it you know it, it, to quite extent. Um, uh, so it, it deals with um, uh, it's a tranquilizer, I suppose. I don't. I mean, I, I, I I'm stunned that anybody could abuse that because, I mean, it would just keep you asleep all the time. I mean, I'm, 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 <laughs> no, it's like on the occasions well, the, that I've had some, I've done like a half one, and it's like just. Mm, no. Yeah. So, but I guess if you're addicted to sleep, yeah. I guess you could get, you know, I suppose. Well, I suppose um, people can get addicted to any drug, whatever its first intended use, especially. Yep. And, and tranquilizers included, because people want to 
get away from the troubles of the world and a tranquilizer does that uh, and it suppresses your anxiety and once you get a, a pleasure from that then uh, you can be on that for the rest of your life as with all these drugs but you're I, I'm, I'm 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 a strong sleep advocate um uh, i keep unusual hours and yeah so um yeah i'm not advocating uh, anything other than you know, if you have any sleep troubles you might want to try this in moderation all right. Xanax okay. in moderation. Um, but is this because you have, is it just devilly sleeping or do you have, are you anxious? Are you an anxious person that needs to do that? Or do you just think a lot of people are anxious and might need a little bit of assistance? Um, well, uh, I have to say that um, I'm not particularly anxious. Um, I keep, I don't have, I just don't keep routine regular hours. So sometimes I'll hit a patch well, I'm doing some work that will require me to keep, you know, nine to five hours. So I may have to do a Xanax just to regulate my sleep and just to make sure I switch to, you know, a certain certain sleep rhythm or pattern. And so, yeah. Xanax is a drug that's used to treat anxiety, panic attacks, like those that occur in agoraphobia. Some of the side effects associated with Xanax are confusion, rash, hallucinations, jaundice of the skin and eyes, and other more minor related side effects. But the biggest thing you have to worry about with its use is chemical dependency. Xanax is a drug that's abused and used recreationally, and a patient who uses it on a long-term basis can develop a chemical dependency. Okay, uh, right. Well, we've got time for one more, um, one more wonder, uh, uh, which is okay. San Diego, um, which is, uh, oh, as, as people will know, it's a city in... California, a long way from Georgia, a long way from here, and uh, perhaps not usually the top of the lists of even Californian cities, but uh, w why San Diego? Oh, I, I, I found myself spending a week there, and it, I, just, I just loved every minute of it. Um, the weather, just, there was a vibe there that was just... And don't get me wrong, San Diego as a city is well overpriced, but... If that if that's not an issue, if that's not an issue for you, then yeah, it's um, plenty of places where you can rent a rent 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 a beachfront place, get your house, get your seat on mm -hmm. top of the roof, and sit there and watch the beach and watch the moon over the beach, and I swear I've I have experienced few things better on this earth. Right. Oh well, I have never been there, but of course uh, I have been to Los Angeles. People know about Los Angeles and Hollywood. They know about San Francisco, which has its adherents, and uh, people love uh, San Francisco. San Diego's—it's it, right on the border, isn't it, between um, you know California and Mexico? Am I getting it right? Yes, it's it's, it's closer to Mexico than uh, Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah. So it's almost like a like a board a border town. Is it where you can get your fish tacos there as well? I would have thought. Well, I mean, <laughs> wherever they're Mexicans, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's like, and, and there's something about San Diego where um, there doesn't, at least in the parts that I was in, there doesn't seem to be any of the racial tension that can exist in, like, Los Angeles, uh, so to speak. Um, there's just a, a, a comfortable blending of all races there. And, yeah, and it's just it's so much to do. And even when you're not doing anything, it's just beautiful. What, what does it look like? You, you mentioned it's a beach, obviously, it's, uh, you know, on the coast. But does it, 
Is it architecturally interesting? Is it a is a big city? A, a, a I think. I think. I think. I think that the um, the inner city itself is is very modern and very very cutting edge. It's very tight, but I mean, it's it's a city, and there's a large Japanese presence there, and so the food and the technology is up, is up to par. But when you go outside of the the inner reaches of the city, um, I mean, they're just it's just the kind of place where there's sun and palm trees everywhere. And I think San Diego is the first place I've been where, like, the palm trees are everywhere and they're real. Like, they're supposed to be there. Like, nobody transplanted them. They, right. They're there. And what age were you when you went there for this in, this important week? Oh, this might have been maybe six, seven years ago. All right. So it's it, this is not a childhood memory or a... No, no. I, I was, yeah. I was you know, well into manhood, you know, but as far as your uh, life is concerned, I mean, you may have no thoughts on this one way or the other. But uh, would you would you reckon you're now completely settled in this country? I mean, obviously you travel around to, in the nature of doing comedy. But you know, is Britain essentially your home now, even though San Diego is on your list of wonders? Britain is firmly been my home, and I expect to be my home for a while yet. But uh, uh, events in recent years have made me wonder if. Britain is supposed to be the end of my rainbow. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> All right. It's a bit late to be worrying about <laughs> the events in this country at the end of the rainbow, but uh, anything in particular you're, you're concerned about that makes it a less attractive place than, than you, you thought um, it was before? The attempt at dismantling of the NHS. Uh, I, think a lot, I think a lot can be said about a society, about how it treats its prisoners and its old people. And we're not doing that well, you're... you're, you're you're telling us. <laughs> I suppose. Well, it's, it's it's not the highest point to leave this whole discussion, but it's uh, an important one. Uh, so you've given us, uh, you've given me uh, an insight into your, your wonders of the world. Um, you've given us your seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, or whatever it is we've uh, uh, run through. Of these, I have to select one. I have to choose the wonders, the wonder of wonders from your list of seven, the one which struck me as a particularly wonderful, as you described it in this podcast. And I think that has to, it sounds a bit sentimental, but I think I'll have to go with JFK. Um, apart from anything else, uh, your description of you being introduced to him by your mother's memory of him and the, her memory of him as a man and him as a, even if it was based to an extent on his attractiveness, uh, that to me struck me as the most wonderful of your wonders. So I'm going to declare that to be the wonder of wonders. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Reginald D. Hunter, for, for joining me on this podcast. Mr. Clive Anderson, I appreciate your time. If you enjoyed listening to my seven wonders, it would be wonderful if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform, site or provider you happen to find us on. Uh, thank you very much. Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson is a stack production in association with Alaska TV and powered by the Acast Creator Network. Ma. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.